Let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's read verses 1 through 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Now I want us to notice that this sixth verse shows us the application of what happened to Moses, what happened to the children of Israel under Moses' leadership and guidance, uh, that all of these things were an example to teach us Christian conduct. In other words, that we should not do as they did, to do otherwise, to do differently, to do uh, what would please the Lord instead, instead of what would bring his uh, wrath and displeasure. And so he says, these were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. And we're going to study in the verses on down what caused them to fail. But in these verses that we've read, I want us to notice this, that first of all, they were all under divine protection. And uh, the Bible tells us, if you read back in the book of Exodus chapter 14, and I'll read verses 19, let's see, Exodus 14, verses 19 and 20. It says, And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them, and it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them, that is, to the Egyptians, but it gave light by night to these, that's the children of Israel, so that the one came not near the other all the night, so that they were really under divine protection. And, you know, God has put us under divine protection as Christians. So uh, we're going to get several things wherein we are like they are. We have the same benefits that they had. So they were under divine protection. The cloud went from behind them, uh, that went before them, went behind them, and it separated and protected them from the enemy. So they not only had the pillar of cloud and fire for guiding light and leadership, but they had the same divine protection. This pillar of cloud and fire was a symbol of God's very presence with them, and it went between them and the enemy to protect them. So it was guidance and protection for them. And we have the same thing. The Bible tells us that uh, we're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last day. Jesus speaks of, of uh, his sheep. And he says in John chapter 10, my sheep, uh, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. 
And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. He protects us. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. There's divine protection. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no one, no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So we have divine protection too. And then I want you to notice something else in the verses we've read, 1 Corinthians 10, that they all experience divine deliverance. It says they uh, passed through the sea in verse 1. They were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. The protection was under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. This is divine deliverance. And they all experienced this deliverance. Remember, they didn't know what to do and they came up against the sea and God smote the waters uh, by Moses stretching out the rod and uh, opened up the sea and they passed through dry shod. Well, the Bible teaches us that we have divine deliverance in the same way that God has delivered us. Colossians 1.13 says he's delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. We're the same as delivered from the uh, powers of Satan and from the other side of the Red Sea and brought across Satan in a spiritual sense of the word. And then we find something else. It says, they were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. In other words, they were all baptized unto the leadership of Moses. He was their leader. Thus, they had divine leadership. They had what? Divine protection, divine deliverance, and now divine leadership. Moses was divinely chosen to be their leader. And we even have a greater leader than Moses, do we not? You read in the book of Romans. Let me read it in chapter 6. Verses 3 through 5, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So we have a divine leader who is none other than Uh, God's only begotten Son, who suffered for our sins, paid the price for our salvation, has ascended on the right hand of God, and we're bidden to even follow his leadership and him on high, because we're told to what? Come boldly to the throne of grace. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. So we're all baptized unto the leadership of the Lord, just as they were all baptized unto the leadership of Moses. Back then. And then, not only that, but you read verses 3 and 4. It says, And did all eat, did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink by the the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now then, there was a literal rock that Moses smoked that gave forth the water. But there was a spiritual presence of Christ with them too. So there was a spiritual rock as well. We know that that literal rock uh, that Moses smote typified Christ, who was smitten for us. But we know also that back there, even in Moses' day, that Christ was with them in pre-existent glory, even though they had not known him and, and do not know as we in the New Testament know that he was made flesh and dwelt among us, Yet his divine presence, pre-existent presence, was with them. And so they actually had Christ's presence with them. 
if you remember in the book of Hebrews, concerning Moses himself, it says that he esteemed the reproaches of Christ. Remember, Moses esteemed the reproaches of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. So even then, the reproach of Christ was upon the people of God in the Old Testament. So what we wanted to say about these two verses is this, that they all had the same divine provision. If you'll notice, the, the spiritual meat they did eat, and the spiritual drink they did drink. Now then, to the Christian, Christ is both the bread of life and the water of life. If you study in the Gospel of John, let's see, I believe it's the sixth chapter, verse 31. Look, he says, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And then he goes on to say, when they said, Lord, evermore give us this bread, he says, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. Look at verse 35. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So, so he's both the, the bread and he's both the water of life. You go on over in the 7th chapter and verse uh, 37, and we see that the water is there. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. So we find that they were all under divine provision. Now, there's four things that we've studied so far. All under divine protection, all under divine deliverance, all baptized under divine leadership, and all uh, had the same divine provision of that food from heaven and of that water of that rock. And it all spoke of Christ and testified to them of Christ. Now then, we're going to see why they failed in that wilderness. In verse 5 it says, But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Why were they overthrown? And why do all, did all the things that we read of later happen to them? Because they, of their evil lives and their evil conduct. In verse 6 it says, Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. I want us to see in verse 7. It says, Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Remember their idolatry? The Bible tells us, you read the book of Exodus. Let me get it for you. Chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods. I want you to notice the plural and the little letter. In other words, when it says, up, make us gods, it doesn't use the word as we would use it concerning the one and only true God, but gods, plural, and gods with a small letter. Deities and images they had in mind, which shall go before us for all, for as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, and of your sons and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And then it says, and they said, These be thy gods, O Israel. You know what they were doing? There was only one image, only one golden calf. 
But they were going back to the gods of the Egyptians and saying, Now these be thy gods. We want gods like the Egyptians. More than one. For they had many gods, you see. And even though they only had one image, they were going in their hearts, they were saying, Now we're worshiping like the Egyptians. We're worshiping like the nations with many gods. And they were rejecting the true God. And so they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord, which it was not. It was not the time for a feast. And anyway, and they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. The Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. And he goes on to tell what they've done. So that they actually turned to idolatry. And uh, they turned back in their hearts back into Egypt. We find that that's one reason that they failed. If you back in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 now quickly again, Neither be ye idolaters. Someone says, Well, what about idolatry in the New Testament? Down verse 14, it says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry, Paul says. John says, you look at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 21, it says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. We think that this day and hour we don't, don't have any worry about idolatry, but it, it says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And, and Paul told us to flee from idolatry. And he says, covetousness is idolatry. There are many things that's spoken about in the New Testament. But this is why they failed. Idolatry. What was the next thing? Look in verse uh, 8. We find that they failed because of fornication and immorality. He says, neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Twenty-three thousand men fell because of their uncleanness, because of their immorality. People today have made their own moral standards. It seems like that anything that is popular and that's desired, whether it be from the depths of the lusts of man's lustful nature and sinful nature, that, that it all passes. If everyone is in favor of it, if it's popular, if it's something people want to do. But God judged the nation of Israel because of immorality and idolatry. And that's why they failed. All of these people failed to enter into Canaan's land because of these things that we're naming. We find that at the top of the list, you go back and I could give you the history. I won't take time to do that. But we find that the, let me just give you a reference quickly. And you'll find it in the uh, 25th chapter of the book of Numbers. And Israel abode in Shittim and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And you find the record there, the terrible record of all of their their fornication, their idolatry, I mean of their uh, immorality, and, and what took place back there. And God says here that they were judged. The Bible says that they were judged because of that. There fell in one day three and twenty thousand. You know, if God were to start judging today and still wait, instead of waiting till the day of judgment, we wouldn't have near the population. They talk about population in the world today. It would be greatly diminished because of sin. Wouldn't it? We wouldn't have to worry about not having enough because uh, there is immorality and fornication and adultery and sin worldwide, let alone in our nation that's professed to be Christian. 
And so what are we going to do about it? We need to set the example and we need to teach what the Word of God teaches about uh, sin. And we need to not lower the standards of God's Word. And when people say, well, this is all right and that's all right, this is acceptable and that and the other, and they live in the gutters of sin, we need to realize that God's Word is against it. And pray for those, and not only that, but to, to definitely take our stand upon God's Word. And then you'll find something else, unbelief. I want you to notice on down, and all of these things are a form of unbelief, when you come to verse 9, 10, and 11, and we'll read on down. Let's read verse 9. It says this, Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them uh, for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. In other words, these people thought that because they were uh, delivered from the Red Sea by Moses and out there in the wilderness, that they could just live like they wanted to without God judging them. And God says it's different than that. He says, I'm going to destroy this wicked generation. They will not enter into Canaan's land because of their unbelief. And he laid down the law in the Old Testament about it. We find the New Testament. If you read in the book of Hebrews, let me read a verse of Scripture in third chapter. And it's rehearsing much the same thing, that God was grieved with that generation. And they wouldn't listen to him and they sinned. In verse 17 it says, But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? Verse 18, To whom he swore that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in, look, because of unbelief. That's in Hebrews chapter 3, the last verses. They could not enter in because of unbelief. This is why they failed. Idolatry fornication, immorality, unbelief, and it was manifested by their murmuring and by their impatience, by their blasphemy, by them tempting Christ, by them uh, committing uh, these terrible uh, sins against God. And God warned them that they would not enter in. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You know, some of God's people today feel like that, well, they, now I'm not saying... Uh, that uh, they died and went to hell. We're not talking about that. We're talking about being destroyed physically because of sin. Now, we know that we cannot judge the matter as far as their soul is concerned. Just as today we cannot judge the matter as far as an individual's soul is concerned. One that is uh, professed to be a Christian. We may or may not be. That's with the Lord and with the individual. But... At any rate, if he goes out and sins and sins against God to where God says, you're not going to go any further in this life, you'll be cut off suddenly, he will cut them off suddenly. And the Bible tells us that that's why if a man just thinks that he can sin against God, if he thinks he stands, he says, take heed lest he fall. That's what it's talking about. You cannot uh, tempt God. You cannot murmur against God. You cannot go on and and say, well, it doesn't make any difference how I live. I'm already a Christian, and I'm safe and secure. And that's what Baptists are accused of so much of the time, saying, well, I'm safe, and therefore I'll live like the devil. We don't teach that in the first place. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that the grace of God that brings salvation teaches us 
to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. And the Bible teaches us well to live a Christian life if we profess to be a child of God. Now then, I know we all fall short. There's, that's not the point. It's a man deliberately and willingly rebelling against the way of God in his life. And though he's been saved, going on as if he uh, had never known the grace of God in truth. And that's the kind God's going to destroy. And they will fall. And they will be cut off in this life. Now, uh, the Bible tells us in verse 13 how we're to handle the temptations that come. It says, there has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will, with the temptation also, make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. So that there's always a way to escape. And there's always the ability to bear up under that temptation. God will help us. And he makes a way for us to escape. Sometimes we do not take that way of escape. But still, he will make it possible that even in our weakness, if we fail to find the deliverance momentarily there, we will find that he will always see us through if we will but not be rebellious and be like the children of Israel and follow their evil example. Now then, in verse 14, it goes on to say then, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. There's a way of escape, isn't it? Flee, run away from it. I speak as to wise men. Judge ye what I say. He says, I'm, I'm giving you some heavenly wisdom. And you're wise men. You ought to be able to receive. I speak as, un, as to wise men. The wisdom that comes from God, if they would but heed it. You know, I'm convinced, you read the book of Proverbs, it says, get wisdom, get understanding. You go back and look in the book of Proverbs and it says, wisdom is the principal thing. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We have a lot of things that are spoken of about wisdom. And the Bible says that the word of God is able to make you wise into salvation. What does it do? It enlightens those that will be enlightened by the Word of God. I'm convinced that if we'd study the Bible and we'll try to live by it, that God will give us that divine wisdom and understanding whereby we will know the way uh, wherein to walk in life. But the reason a lot of people are not led in right things, they do not study the right way. And if we study the right way, we'll be led in the right way. The psalmist said, Lord, teach me to know the way wherein I should walk. If we want to know how to walk, let's study the plan and the path and the direction and the, and the instructions. And God will help us. And I don't mean by that we won't make mistakes and stumble along the way, but I do believe there will be a general direction and there will be guidance. Now we move on to the two tables, beginning with verse 16. We're talking about the Lord's table, and then we'll talk about the table devil's. The devil's table. You know there's two tables? And a lot of people don't know which one to eat, where to eat. Look at this one. The cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break. Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh, are they not, 
are they which are not they, let me get straight, are not they which eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idol is anything? But I say that the Gentiles, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. In other words, you can't sit at both tables. It says, you cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Let's stop there for a moment. So we have the two tables. The Lord's table is indicated here by the Lord's Supper, isn't it? We, it says, uh, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? The blood and the body of Christ? It means, what does it mean? It means fellowship with Christ. It means communion with Christ. It means the unity of God's people. It says in verse 17, For we being many are one bread. This is the unity of God's people. For we are all partakers of that one bread. But it says you cannot partake of that one bread. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Now, the devil's table, it means in honor of an idol, in honor of their idols. And if you take of the devil's table, that's to have fellowship with the idol or with the demon, with the devil. So there are only two tables, and we must take the right one. And God's people will, of course, sit at the table of fellowship and communion of the body of Christ. And when we do take of the Lord's Supper, which is the table we're speaking of here, it means fellowship with Christ. It means that we as one body, uh, we being many are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread of, the, of Christ. Now then, we find on down in verse 22, it says, Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. And that means another's welfare, another, another's good. So, he gives us instructions here how to deal with those things that are offered to idols. And we've already discussed it somewhat in previous uh, lessons. But as far as Paul was concerned, if there was food and he received it with thanksgiving, that was well and good. He, he ate as unto the Lord. And if someone says this is offered to idols for conscience sake, <coughs> he would not eat that. He would not partake of that because he would then openly and knowingly be partaking of the same table and uh, of the same food that was offered to idols. And that's why Paul says, I'm at liberty. I'm free to, to eat whatever I want to. And if you and I were to suppose there was meat offered to idols, and we didn't know about the fact that they claimed it was offered to idols. We're here at, at food. And we have food before us. We give God thanks for it. It doesn't make any difference about uh, the idol because we can thank God for the food, for the physical nourishment that comes from that. But if someone says this is offered to an idol, we then become immediately 
uh, involved in our conscience. We say, well, now, if this is offered to an idol, I'll not take of it. Not only, not be, not just because I'm free to take of it, because by partaking of it, I will offend the other man's conscience that cannot be as free as I am, and, and he will think that I'm eating meat that's offered to idols. You see? And by doing that, you would conduct, you would, uh, confirm it, you would say, well, that's all right. That's why Christians need to be careful as to how we live. Certain things we do, we put our stamp of, of, of approval upon that, even though we might do it with a clear conscience, to the world they say, uh, look at it and they say, well, if that Christian person does it, it must be all right. And we may be doing something that's perfectly free as far as our conscience is concerned, and yet the world misjudge it and misunderstand it, and we're causing them to be offended. Let's go on and read. In verse uh, 25, whatsoever sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. Go ahead and eat it. Thank God. For the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. You see how free the Christian really is? We're free in every sense of the word. But it says, if any of them that believe not, now look at this, bid you to a feast and you be disposed to go. You go to this feast. Whatsoever set before you eat, asking no questions for conscience sake. He bids you to a feast. But look, but if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not. Look at this now. For his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake, eat not for his sake that showed it. In other words, you're not going to endorse that which is evil. And, and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now look, conscience. What about this conscience sake? Conscience, I say, not thine own. Why? Paul could go ahead and eat the food and it wouldn't, uh, wouldn't bother his conscience. But he says, but the other, for why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? You see that? It would cause the other man to think that Paul had endorsed this and that it was all right. And for the other's conscience sake, Paul could have gone ahead. You and I could go ahead and eat it. Even if they said it's a sacrifice to idols, we could say, well, the Lord's provided this food. I'll eat it and thank God for the food. But we couldn't for this reason, because someone would say, well, we're endorsing that. Someone would say that we are, uh, we're saying it's all right and it would cause, it would be for their conscience sake. Even though we're at liberty, the Christian is at liberty to, to whatsoever he does. Do all to the glory of God, whatsoever you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. And we could do that, couldn't we? But, for this reason, Paul says, eat not. Eat not if you know that it's said that it's offered in sacrifice to idols. Now then, in verse 30, we're continuing, and it shows us how we ought to live and conduct ourselves as Christians. In verse 30, for if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of? For that which I give thanks. He partakes of it by grace and he gives thanks for it. Then why is the evil spoken of? Because if we recognize the fact it's offered in sacrifice to idols, we would be evil spoken of and we would be associated with that idol, wouldn't we? We would be associated in that feast with those people that offer in sacrifice to idols. Now then, this is not as much a prominent physical and material question today with us as it was in Paul's day. But in a spiritual sense, the same principle is involved. When we do things that people see that we endorse, 
even though we may be at liberty to do certain things in our lives and not feel any uh, sin about it or harm about it and may even thank God for the privilege and the blessing of what we're enjoying. At the same time, if it's something that causes others to misunderstand our actions, then Paul says, eat not. So we have to do, we have to abstain from certain things for the conscience sake of the other man. And of course, as I say, we do not have to literally do it today and physically in the sense that Paul did in his day, but we do in a spiritual sense have the same principle that's involved. Now let's look at verse 31. Wherefore, there uh, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. That whatever we do, do it all to the glory of God. The Christian is free to eat and to drink. He's free to do whatever he does, all to the glory of God. But then look at verse 32. Give none offense. We want to consider in what we do the other fellow. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. If what we're doing is an offense to anyone, look, the Jews, or the Gentiles, or the church of God, it says give none offense. And he says in verse 33, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Paul says, I'm become all things to all men, that by all means I may save some. If you read in the previous chapter, the ninth chapter, verse 22, and he gives a list of things, but we'll read the 22nd verse. To the weak became I weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And that should be our purpose, not to be a stumbling block or an offense to Jews, the Gentiles, or to even any in the church of God, but to be an example so that, that, in, that whatever we do, we might win others. Now, that doesn't mean that you're always going to please the other fellow. It doesn't mean that uh, you will not be misjudged, but it does mean that if we openly and know, if we knowingly uh, do something that offends the other fellow, we should guard our actions and our lives so that this will not be the case. So he says, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So let's stand together for just a word of prayer.